This is IAQ Radio, indoor air quality radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your host, Radio Joe Hughes, and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. This week is episode 628. We welcome Dr. Richard Shaughnessy and John Downey. We're going to talk a little bit about an IAQ legend, Mr. Shaughnessy, and a little bit about Healthy Buildings America 2021. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsors. They are the reason we can continue doing the show. And I want to welcome two new sponsors this week. We've got Sunbelt Rentals at sunbeltrentals.com. And April Air at AprilAIRE.com. Our marquee sponsor is Instascope at Instascope.co. Our association sponsors are the American Industrial Hygiene Association at AIHA.org. The American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists at ACGIH.org. The Cleaning Industry Research Institute at CIRI science.org the indoor air quality association at iaqa.org the restoration industry association at restorationindustry.org the institute for inspection cleaning and restoration certification at iicrc.org and healthy buildings america 2021 at hb2021-america.org Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories at AEMLINC.com, Particles Plus at ParticlesPlus.com, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions at GrayWolfSensing.com, TSI Inc. at TSI.com, and Healthy Indoors Magazine at HealthyIndoors.com. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man. Hello, everyone. Congratulations go out to Lydia Lapotere, Winter Haven, Florida, who first identified climate as the main determining factor on the type of roofing that you'll have on your home. The IQ Radio Trivia question for today, June 4th, 2021, has been sponsored by TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for the monitoring of indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigation at TSI.com. Here's today's trivia question. How many people founded the International Society of Indoor Air Quality and Climate? Back to you, Joe. Good one. Good one, Cliff. And that, nice prizes, too. Also, TSI put okay. together some nice prizes for you, so jump on that one. Okay, Richard J. Shaughnessy. Dr. Shaughnessy has served as the director of the University of Tulsa's Indoor Air Quality Research Program in the Chemical Engineering Department since 1987. His studies have focused on particulate research, air cleaner evaluation, indoor chemistry, school studies, asthma, housing research, and resolution remediation of bioaerosol-related problems. He has also served as the president of the International Society of Indoor Air Quality and Climate and continues to work with the society to translate science into practice. John Downey is also with us. He's the executive director of the Cleaning Industry Research Institute. He's also a fourth-generation president and owner of Donnie's Carpet Care of Grantville, Ohio. John was also the founder of Clean Facts Magazine, a longtime industry trade publication he sold in 1999. He is, he is a longtime industry association leader, volunteer, and member of numerous committees. Welcome, gentlemen. Hi, right. glad to be here, Joe. Hi, Cliff. How are you, Richard? Good, good. Richard, we had Travis West on probably about a month or two ago now. And, and, and he, you know, like many, I think, uh, thank you for, you know, your, your early start in, in the indoor air quality world. And he, he thought that you were kind of a, uh, a person that got him involved in the indoor air quality world. And I think there's a lot of them out there, Richard. I really was glad we were able to pull this show together because I looked in the archives and we'd only done one solo show with you about 
12 years ago. You've, you've joined us for other things over the time. How did you end up getting started in indoor air quality? Um, you know, that's a, that's a pretty good question. You know, I, um, you come out of often, you come out of uh, college or something, and uh, so you're not quite sure what to do. Um, uh, I, my, my work had to do with uh, water management at the beginning. Uh, and then I went into air and wastewater management related to um, uh, an oil field service company. And I, you know, at that point, I decided that, um, you know, I really wasn't serving the common good and started looking at air quality in terms of uh, the indoor environment. And uh, I knew people at the EPA and kind of uh, had joined alliances with them. And uh, from there, it was a long path going forward. A good path, too. You know, you started in 87 at, at the university there. And um, ISIAC, the International Society for Indoor Air Quality and Climate, they, they didn't start too much after that. I think it was 1991. Were you part of the group that helped to start that? Well, I was, <laughs> I definitely knew all the people. It was a good group of people. You know, back then it was really wild west on indoor air. It was challenging. It was exciting. Uh, so many different facets of the indoor environment uh, were, for the first time, really being explored. Uh, I think one of the, you know, you think back, one of the driving forces, so I was thinking about this the other day, that kind of moved a lot of people into looking closer at the indoor environment is uh, radon. Um, as uh, in the 80s, radon was uh, understood to be a problem indoors and uh, that it was second leading cause of uh, lung cancer and and. So many people started moving in that direction. And with that, um, you know, we, we came across, we met, and we interacted with some of the uh, top people. You know, I could, uh, Terry Brennan, Bill Turner, uh, Rich Pearl, John Gorman, Bob Axelrad with the EPA, uh, Jed Harrison. I mean, it, it was it was an exciting time. And, and, um, with that, Isiac rolled along, and and that that began. Well, one of the first conferences was actually in Berlin in 1987 or 88. Uh, Toronto was the first real indoor air conference, flagship conference put on by uh, by Isiac, and uh, and that brought together the EPA with so many of the researchers that were looking into this. Uh, but you know, I. I owe what I know today to all of those uh, uh, predecessors, the people that I, I just mentioned, and so many more. Um, and uh, when it comes to Isiac, Joe, uh, you know, there's Hal Levin, um, uh, John Kerman, uh, EPA, he used to be at Lawrence Berkeley uh, uh, National Labs, Oli Suffinen from Finland, Ina Nevelainen from Finland. Uh, Phil Moy, Bill Nazaroff, Bill Fisk, Joan Daisy. Uh, you know, I could go on and on. But it, uh, you know, it was more of a movement of understanding and recognizing, you know, as we looked at problems in Lourdes, we found more and more problems that were more acute and uh, uh, related to, we found people having these symptoms, sick living syndrome, and uh, it all kind of, you know, became a circle coming back of uh, going forward at that point with so many different challenges. So it, it, it was exciting. You know, you, you mentioned radon being one of the early indoor air quality issues. What about asbestos? That was also another big issue back in the late 80s. Did you do any work with asbestos? I did, but very limited. You know, asbestos kind of like lead. It's very prescriptive. Um, and that is, you know, if you have it, you have it, and here are the steps you take. You know, you can encapsulate, you can enclose, you could remove, uh, you can manage. 
in place um, and, and to some extent with lead too. But um, I, you know, I found that interesting and certainly I um, was educated in that, but at the same time, I, I didn't look at that as a tremendous challenge other than overcoming the fact that people had to had to address it. And uh, so it wasn't really my kind of direction, if you will, at that time. Tell us a little bit about the early days of, of mold and bioaerosol related issues. Well, you know, when they, I mean, um, you know, biological contamination has always been a driver. It really has. And, uh, you know, this, these are one of those things that, you know, with particular, you might have particular similar at home that are microscopic and you don't know you have a problem, but you have, it's there with mold. You have immediate reactions. Uh, 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 many people have acute reactions or uh, aggravation of, uh, of uh, uh, already existing problems such as asthma and or allergies and even more severe beyond that. And mold is something you detect. You know, we have microbial VOCs. You, you smell it. You can see it. You know it's a problem. You have that damp environment. And uh, But uh, Harriet Burge was just uh, uh, a, a trailblazer in that. And uh, uh, as well, there were people like Harriet Allman, um, uh, Laura Oatman, uh, uh, Phil, Phil Mori, again, uh, these people were instrumental um, coming together. And we did come together back in the, uh, well, 1996 or 1995. Um, uh, Harriet Burge put me on the ACGIH Bioaerosols Committee, and with that came the, uh, the ACGIH Bioaerosols and, and uh, Control Book. Uh, that's that's still, you know, often referred to and very much a good source of information even to this day. And as I understand it, that's being revised right now. Are you part of that? I sure am. I was up till two in the morning last night reviewing part of it, and can, we're we're working away on that. You know, it's a, it's a um, it's one of those hard act to follow. Uh, types of situation. Excellent 1999 book. Um, and if we're editing it and we're, we are involved with that, and yeah, I certainly am, uh, to follow up on that, you've got to make sure you've got all the T's crossed and I's dotted and, and, and you're adding in something new. Are you really, uh, uh, building upon something or just repeating the same old, same old. You know, I always like that. I, I got a copy on my shelf here. I always uh, refer to it. Um, and what I liked about it is it's not just mold. It's, it's many bioaerosol related topics. Let me, uh, yeah. Yeah. let me ask you a little bit about, you know, you've, you've always been, trying at least, and uh, I think you've been successful oftentimes in promoting, bringing researchers and practice practitioners together. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to do this show. Um, tell us a little bit about some of the, the early attempts to do that. And then where we're at today, and then, then we'll go into Healthy Buildings America 2021 and bring John in. Well, from my, from my standpoint, you know, research has always been kind of applied research. I'm, I'm looking at what it is or could be uh, used here and now as opposed to 10, 15 years down the road. Not to say that's not important, but I'm, I'm kind of on that application side. And with that, um, that's been kind of my drive. I mean, back in 1990, Laura Oatman, who was with the University uh, with Minnesota Department of Health, uh, was talking about these ozone generators, and we started doing work in that area and research and look at them. And all of a sudden, we now have phenomenal numbers being generated by some of these ozone devices on the market. So, 
Um, so, you know, that that's just an example of some of the work we try and put out there. But um, you know, research is, um, is excellent um, in, in terms of uh, academic, uh, trying to explore the health implications and the whys and what. Uh, on the other end, the practitioners have different needs. They need here and now. I mean, absolutely what they need, what they're looking for is not tomorrow. They want to know what's on the shelf now that can help them in their everyday activities. And uh, we and we have as well, so many people have, like Joe Sweebrick, uh of uh, Building Science Corporation tries to bring together, you know, practitioners with research and but he's really practice related, if you if you will. And I find there's this separation. There's this separation and there's this void and there's not good communication and you we're know, speaking two different languages. Um, uh, researchers are talking something about something that's very important. Uh, on the other hand, uh, they don't understand the day-to-day -day activities of the practitioner. The practitioner understands what he or she is doing, but they may not understand. Um, uh, they may not understand what uh, uh, you know the science affords them in the future. So anyway, the the drive for research to practice is so important. I mean. They, they call um, the graveyard for scientific research uh, uh, technical journals. And that is it lands there and it doesn't go much further. Um, and what we need to do is um, extend across the aisle and make sure these, uh, these uh, uh, findings that we have as researchers are in the hands of those that need it. Let me ask you this, Richard. What current research that relates to practitioners do you feel is probably one of the things you'd like to see people pay more attention to? Oh, but, you know, it's difficult to say, Joe. I mean, um, um, well, I, I'll give you an example because okay. there are so many. Uh, with uh, biological uh, uh, contamination, we, you know, we emphasize uh, thorough examination and inspection of homes. Sometimes sampling is not needed. Now, you and I both know, and so does Cliff, and uh, we all know that sampling is kind of routine in the field for practitioners, and it's being done as such. Uh, so if, if you're going to do that, you know, how do you complement that with something that might be more uh, precise and uh, provide uh, better results and and therein the landscape opens up when you look at DNA sequencing and what that affords us now I mean it uh, for practitioners it's kind of the sketchy area that uh, can be intimidating even for scientists uh, but it does afford a lot of opportunity to expand upon his or her knowledge of what exists within the home. And, and that, that's, that's one of those uh, things that could be used here and now. Um, I mean, we're working on research now of, you know, as far back as the 90s, we've always heard the term normal fungal ecology. Let's return the home to normal fungal ecology. Well, Go ahead and uh, define that for me, Joe, Cliff, <laughs> if, you, if you all can. I mean, it's not a term easily come by, and and it's one that um, there are some metrics that are out there that need to be improved upon. And uh, we have been working on a tool that is um, almost ready for prime time, um, to get out there that uh, practitioners can take uh, some simple measurements and from that try to differentiate between a dry uh, home and that of a damp um, uh, damp home with, if you will, abnormal uh, fungal ecology. So 
that difference is something we're trying to pin down. But uh, these are one of the things that you could pay attention to and, and, and gain a lot from. And, and again, the, these are just uh, one example. I got to tell you that COVID is horrific, okay? I mean, it has been horrific, but it has accelerated uh, research by light years in the past uh, year and a half. And not only that, it has accelerated the need for research that is useful here and now for practice, not, not down the line, but uh, to get it in the hands of those, whether they be uh, mechanical engineers, HVAC contractors, uh, people uh, uh, looking to protect their population, et cetera, in their home or whatever, that, that is remarkable. And, and uh, it's one example of how, what we could do if we worked harder at it, I believe. I wonder, maybe you could expand a little on your normal fungal ecology work. Is that the HUD, uh, HUD work? That is. Mm -hmm. are, you, yeah. are you looking at DNA or how are you looking at establishing what is normal fungal ecology, if you can tell us? Right. Um, well, they, we're working with Jordan Pecci at, at uh, Yale University. He's just, uh, you know, he, he's unparalleled with respect to the work that he does as such. And um, uh, with that said, I mean, uh, we're taking samples back and he's uh, looking at sequencing uh, of what's there without knowing what's there. So you don't, you don't kind of feed into it, this is what you look for. You, you put it in and you, what comes out of it will give you the indicators of what are present within the environment. And um, it's, uh, we've, uh, we've published on it. I'll try and get that paper to you. We're working on it uh, uh, to expand it right now where uh, it, it goes beyond, it goes beyond just culture and microscopy. I'll put it that way. And it complements it to, uh, to the ultimate where someone gets an understanding of what's there, but also uh, whether that's normal or abnormal. So I, I know I haven't quite answered your question, but it, uh, I can feed you more uh, of what we've published on it so far. Definitely want to talk more about that. And we'll bring you back when you have a little more, you know, you're, you're a little further along. But I guess one quick question is um, a lot of people have used qPCR uh, over the years, and, yeah. and it's kind of a limited amount. You know, there's a limited number of organisms you can look for. Have you been able to narrow down what are some of the key organisms? Yeah, we have. We've been able to look at that, and these are going to be more or less determinants, if you will, Joe, as to the criteria of what you're looking at. How does that sum up? And uh, for the samples we've taken in, uh, I forget, 15 different locations throughout the United States, and we've taken uh, thousands of samples and uh, done analyses and what. Um, we're... Uh, we're we're getting the information back that that is able to again delineate between normal and what's uh, what's what's abnormal out there. Uh, okay, hey, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Healthy Buildings 2021 here. Healthy Buildings America, I should say. There's also a Healthy Buildings coming up even sooner, but that's in Europe, correct? Right. That's in Oslo, virtual. Yep. yep. And, and that is not the same theme, obviously. Your theme is, you know, more research to practice based type information. What, how are yeah. things going with that, number one? Um, secondly, have you been able to get a lot of practitioners involved? Well, uh, first of all, to answer the first question, it's, it's one of the most exciting ventures that I've uh, undertaken and been a part of. Um, as I told you, this has been kind of, you know, one of the things that drives me to 
bring research to practice. But it, it's not just research to practice. It's a vice versa, an exchange between the two. And that has to occur. And ISIAC, in all its wisdom and all its, um, you know, for all the good they do, they rarely, if you go to the Indoor Conference, it's in the past, uh, they've only on occasion really been able to forge the research to practice connection. Uh, healthy buildings was always intended to be research to practice or trying to connect those two. Uh, but we've never achieved that. DCX never achieved that. And this will be one of the first all-out attempts to make to cross that line and bring them together. And in terms of uh, uh, bringing them together, we, we have an organizing committee of at least 70 to 80 individuals. And uh, about half of those are made up of practitioners, some of the best that uh, we're we've been in contact and worked with. So uh, it's exciting. It, it's, it's really cool, Joe, I got to tell you. And I'm, I'm glad that it's going on. Uh, abstract submission is what we're driving for. And uh, uh, that uh, the abstracts are due on uh, Monday. Uh, and uh, we may allow a couple of extra days, but right now, uh, we're looking at the uh, uh, the date for submission. It's Monday. And the thing, you know, really what's important, Joe, abstracts are like everyday business for scientists, academia. Right. For many practitioners, it can be intimidating. You know, they, they, they don't want to be frowned upon for the practice that how they go about it. Well, they should not be, number one, intimidated. Number two, they should be encouraged and applauded for the work that they're doing. And whatever, however they word it, we want that, we want that to be a centerpiece for the conference. So we absolutely want that exchange. And there will be opportunities all throughout the conference to do that with receptions, with workshops, research to practice short courses, research to practice, and oral sessions uh, and plenaries that are focused on that as well. All right, let me, let me get John in here in just a minute, but, but I want to yep. set up an idea here. What if, like a group of people who are going to attend anyway, practitioners, it seems like one of the things the researchers need from us is what we need from them. In other words, what we do on a daily basis and what we need from them. John, are you putting something like that together? No, I've just something, uh, uh, several things uh, along those lines we're putting together, have put together. Uh, I, although I, the, you know, the, the key element is we need the participation. We need, and, and frankly, we're <laughs> We're doing this show today for specifically for the purpose of reaching out to practitioners to encourage uh, submissions there. Uh, and, and the reason is, and, and I've been listening with, and a lot of the things uh, Richard's already said, but the researchers need to understand the world of the practitioners as much as the practitioners need to understand and be aware of the research out there. So, uh, we, you know, the workshops, many of the workshops are, are going to be a research to practice. Work, workshops involve both perspectives. We're going to have, uh, there's a pre-conference, uh, short courses uh, the day before the conference opens. And I believe all of those have both research and practice elements to them. Uh, and, and one of them, frankly, uh, Siri is uh, leading uh, with uh, uh, IAHA uh, uh, equally involved, uh, David Krauss with AIHA. So, um, you know, we're, what we're trying to do is, not what we're trying to do, we are doing it, is we're, we're reaching out to the practitioners to, to let them know, uh, you know, the biggest problem practitioners have is that 
this isn't their kind of gig. This is a, a science conference, a research conference. Uh, at our conferences, you know, I, I, you might have 20 or 30 speakers. I was just looking, uh, and I was just looking as, as the meeting went on, and we're now at 152 uh, submissions, abstract submissions. Uh, I fully expect that um, by the time we're done, we're going to have easily 250 to 300, maybe more submissions for abstracts. Now, the thing is, the, the abstracts are, are, I mean, that's wording that is more related to uh, academia, research things. They're familiar with this. But what I want to make clear for practitioners is, uh, and, and you may not think of it this way. In fact, honestly, until a, a few days ago, I hadn't quite thought of it this way myself. But your business is a laboratory. Uh, for a practitioner, we're faced every day with problems that we have to uh, devise solutions to. And that, in, in a way, is what we need for, for abstracts from practitioners. Describe, describe a problem, or we'll call it a challenge. And then, then describe how you approach solving that problem or dealing with that challenge. Uh, how do you research it? Uh, how do you determine what your options are? And then as you figure out what your options are, you have a process that you follow to figure out how you're, how you're, what, what, what path you're going to follow to do it. And from that, you know, frankly, sometimes, and I'm speaking uh, for myself as well as anybody else here, because I own a carpet cleaning business and we're in the field every day dealing with these things. Um, you, you, you establish ways that you're going to uh, go about uh, solving the problem. Then you apply that solution. Sometimes it works, other times it doesn't work. A lot of times it works pretty well, but you've realized you could do better. And so that then is a takeaway for the future. What can we improve on from what we had? That's essentially what uh, we're looking for. It's what you're doing if you're a practitioner on a routine basis. Uh, it is just in a, in a laboratory setting and in, uh, in, in a formal research setting, the parameters are, 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 are fixed and, and narrow and the research is deep. We're doing, world, our world is a little bit different, but both have value. And the thing I realized, especially starting a couple years ago, when I attended a conference at Ohio State about uh, carpet and uh, uh, emissions from carpet, uh, was that the people in the research area uh, need and recognize that they need the input of the people in the field doing the work. And we didn't have, you know, I, I had no, I, honestly, I had no idea how much research has been done as it relates to carpet. I'm a carpet guy. They had no idea that I existed. And I'm, I'm, you know, my company or, or my family's been involved in carpet cleaning since before there was carpet, since mm -hmm. 1897. So in central Ohio, I've got five kids that graduated from Ohio State and they didn't even know I existed, Joe, until you told them I existed. <laughs> and, and then they were great. They, they uh, Karen Dannemiller, uh, who uh, organized the conference, was just wonderful. So anyway, I, I'm kind of hogging the microphone right now, but that would be kind of my thoughts as it relates to practitioners. And I would also uh, echo Richard that I'm really excited about this. I mean, frankly, everything we have done, we've done in preparation for this and, and, and anticipating responses, the response has been well exceeded our expectations. So I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I, Siri was kind of nervous about this going in. Quite frankly, I had a, a lot of, and, and, and Shaughnessy knows this too. We, we had to work hard on uh, the executive committee of Siri to get them to um, 
uh, pull the lever. But uh, boy, I'm glad we did because it's it's just really, I think it's an opportunity that's, I know that there's been things that have been done in the past, research to practice attempts. And I know this is self-serving to say it, but I think it's true. There hasn't been a Siri, which is a practitioner, contractor-oriented organization as a go-between between the research community and uh, the practitioner community. Right. That's a difference. And, and that's what we're, you know, my, my goal is that this isn't going to stop on November 12th, but it will begin in earnest on November 12th after we have the conference. Let me let Cliff jump in here. Cliff, yes, and then after uh, this, after, after the answer, we'll do our halftime. I got a little behind. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Um, I received a, uh, a question from Carl Grimes, which I think you and Richard spoke about uh, on another show, but um, I think my approach is a little bit differently. You know, one of the things that he did, and I never thought about it before, but he introduced to me a new term. And, you know, we've always had researchers, we've always had practitioners. And then um, he introduced this term field practitioner. And I think that that may have been something that may have been previously lost. And I know that you're both focused on it and I'm trying to, um, and I know that we're reaching out to abstracts and those are people that are, that are field practitioners, but, you know, will researchers, you know, kind of let them in the loop, I guess is, is really my question. You want to, you want to take a run at that, Richard? So Cliff, you're asking, you're asking again, are we taking into account field, uh, field researchers? No, what, 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 um, what I get, you know, okay. So previously I think we had two classifications. We had researchers and we had practitioners. And uh -huh. I think Carl's point was practitioners could theoretically choose which product or which research they wanted to apply for the situation. And as John brought up in his carpet cleaning business, uh, he runs into different types of challenges. So he would be what's called a field practitioner. I would consider myself a field practitioner. And we go out and we, 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 you know, we encounter a problem. We try to solve the problem. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But how can researchers relate to field practitioners as opposed to professional practitioners? Yeah, I, you know, I think, I think really what it comes down to, Cliff, is under, understanding, you know, the end, the end goal that you're, that you're trying to uh, get to. And um, uh, with that said, I mean, uh, we look at it as more research to practice, but what we're talking about is the full line down the line, going from practice, practice, then affords information to the practitioner in the field and he or she then takes it up and puts it into effect. Um, I, I kind of look at that all as one ball of, of, uh, of wax that we put together when we're talking about uh, uh, research to practice. But, but Carl's right. I mean, there are compartments of this that have to be overcome and and um, it's, it's not just a one-step process. Uh, so we're trying, to, we're trying to account for that. And, and uh, uh, certainly uh, we'll have kind of researchers talking about what their implications are for practice. So the field practitioner is the one that uses it. And uh, we want their voices to be heard here as well that's so important and and one one other note i mean um you know the conference is bridging the gap between research and practice it goes both ways but in the age of covid uh, 19 and beyond and really um, um we aren't we aren't talking per se about covid it's given all the implications of covid and how 
it's kind of thrust us into this new world. How does this impact our, our, our jobs? How does this impact our duties? How, what will be sustained in the future? And so we're looking for all topics. And when I say that, you know, if you go to the webpage, it'll show you the individual topics of uh, sources. Uh, there will be uh, information on COVID transmission, the cleaning, disinfection, uh, measurement, validation, uh, engineering controls, health effects, chemistry, uh, microbiology, um, uh, uh, ventilation, comfort, productivity. So, you know, I, I, I don't have to go on, but we're, we're, we're covering the entire gamut, if you will. And I think that is important for people that are considering attending and considering presenting at the conference. I got a, a quick question. It should be a quick answer, I think. Is this going to be just in person or will you also have an online component for those who can't travel to Honolulu? Do we have to answer that? <laughs> All right, let me answer that because Richard will refuse. <laughs> there will be a limited live. There will be a limited uh, live stream component. One of the four tracks of the conference is going to be live stream. Uh, but we are strongly encouraging all those who are able to attend to attend in person, because that's where the real power and the real value of a conference like this is. And I know you need to get to the halftime break. Joe, but if I could, I, after the break, I'd like to take a, give a few additional comments on uh, Cliff's last question, if that's okay. Okay. What I'd like to do here, since we ran a little over, I'm going to do halftime and then we're going to jump right into the roundup and we're going to bring in the restoration industry global watchdog. I know he has some comments, but John will go to you first. So let's go to halftime, John, and then we will uh, go right into the roundup. Our marquee sponsor, Instascope. More jobs done faster with the future of IAQ assessment technology. Unlimited samples, instant results, and cloud-based data at instascope.co. Our association sponsors are AIHA, Healthy Workplaces, A Healthier World, at AIHA.org. ACGIH. Advancing careers of professionals in environmental health, industrial hygiene, and safety interested in defining their science at acgih.org. The Cleaning Industry Research Institute. See more deeply through science and research at cirisciencecorg The Indoor Air Quality Association. Promoting the exchange of indoor environmental quality information through education and research at IAQA.org. The Restoration Industry Association, the granddaddy of the restoration industry. Network with leaders at restorationindustry.org. The IICRC, a nonprofit standards development and certifying body for the cleaning and restoration industry at IICRC.org. And Healthy Buildings America 2021 in Honolulu, Hawaii, November 9 through 11 at hb2021-america.org. IAQ Radio industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories, free shipping, great pricing, same-day results with no rush fee at aemlinc.com. Particles Plus. Feature-rich particle counters and air quality instrumentation. Count on us at ParticlesPlus.com. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions. Over 20 years manufacturing accurate, reliable IAQ instrumentation for portable, short-term, and continuous monitoring at GrayWolfSensing.com. TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for monitoring indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations at TSI.com. And Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online magazine for industry professionals and consumers at HealthyIndoors.com. 
right, our new Roundup sponsor is April Air, Healthy Air, Healthy Home at AprilAIRE.com. And I also want to mention our newest industry sponsor is Sunbelt Rentals, availability, reliability, and ease for all your IAQ and restoration needs at SunbeltRentals.com. All right, let's go to Mr. Donnie. You wanted to get the first word in here on the Roundup. Yes, thanks, Joe. Uh, just a, a quick addition to what uh, Richard uh, was saying in response to Carl's que question, which is Carl's question, is um, the, the, the reason that we want the type of abstracts from practitioners we're talking about is that that is what that what is that those type of presentations are what will acquaint the researchers with the uh, the, the real world, if you will, um, uh, the field practitioner's world. And it's intentional that we are going to have that type of uh, um, uh, presentation during the conference, uh, not limiting practitioners to try and mimic or, or uh, mimic the, the researchers who, you know, Practitioners are never going to be able to do the kind of research that are being that's being done by uh, academic researchers at education uh, institutions. So it, it is really important that uh, that and the question is, will um, will researchers respond to it? Well, I mean, that's a point to the conference. That's that, you know, if the, well, all of them no, because I'm not sure that all of them. In fact, I'm sure not all of them are interested. But I will tell you, when I was at that conference at Ohio State, I was the only guy without PhD after my name. And I was probably the most popular speaker there. I mean, they treated me like I was a rock star and I was scared to death that I would embarrass myself. So in that case, if that is an illustration, uh, I think you can, there can be very good information. And since that conference, I've had, uh, you know, I've built on a lot of relationships that were established there. So anyway. All right. Hey, you know, I want to inject uh, in a question from the chat, Richard, and it has to do with that normal fungal ecology. And I think be, the main reason I want to hit this again is it's such an important practitioner issue. And, and you're focused on it right now. And the question is, um, if the reference point is a dry home, so we generally want a dry home. I mean, that's our, our first goal, but many homes are already damp and they have damp conditions. Are you looking at ways of differentiating between homes that have normal fungal ecology or had normal fungal ecology? So in other words, um, the home may be dry now, but there's still organisms in that home that, that shouldn't be there. Are you combining both the field conditions and the biology of the indoor environment, or is it just looking at the biology? No, that's a, that's a very good question. I mean, um, uh, the point being that um, at this point in time, is the fungal ecology within the home, is that what you would call dry, normal, uh, uh, in terms of the setting? Uh, and, uh, and to gain this data, we had very strict criteria in terms of, of defining what to uh, the, the inspector should look for. And it, there was no gray area here. It was either they had mold growing there and conditions were, were kind of spelled out as damp, moldy environment or dry. So uh, from the onset, we didn't look at kind of homes in between that might have a little bit of mold here, a little bit there. We, we defined the two groups. And with that, Jordan was able to find uh, certain indicators with respect to each one and, and uh, afford this algorithm that he's put together in terms of uh, defining uh, uh, the home and characterizing it better. Uh, this uh, ultimately, we want this to be a remediation tool, and that is, you know, the the subject of clearance has gone on forever, as you all know. 
Right. Um, like this to be a determinant at the end of the day, have you actually achieved or restored the house back to normal fungal ecology? And we think we could do that. We certainly can with this tool. And we're working with HUD, hoping to expand upon it. And uh, we're uh, excited about that. Okay, let me turn it over to Cliff. Cliff, just so you know, I, my computer died on me here. I can't see the chat. And uh, I want to turn it over to you and then We'll give uh, Mr. Consigli an option to come in here. Okay. Uh, let's see on chat. Um, I think the only other chat, Terry Sofer, uh, brought out a, a very interesting point in that, you know, in, in his opinion, it's unfortunate that they're not providing a full line, full online attendance because by you know focusing on in-person, they're missing the connection uh, of many, many people that won't be able to attend and people in other disciplines. So I think it's a point that's well taken. And I, I, I certainly think that John and um, Richard and the, uh, you know, have, have thought about it, you know, it's. Uh, Cliff, can I, can I comment sure, on that sure, real sure. quick? Uh, I think I mentioned at the very beginning, uh, it's not so much what I know. It's, uh, it's what I've learned and what I've learned are the people I've met. And um, I'm not a rocket scientist, but I can tell you that some of the people I've had the privilege to work with, I could almost characterize it as that. And we know that indoor air quality in the whole field is multidisciplinary. And those connections are what have uh, kind of bolstered and brought me to uh, where we are today. Well, you know, uh, we're working on projects on schools and, and, uh, what, where I'm working with Jordan Pecci, I'm working with Mark Hernandez at University of Colorado, just outstanding researchers. And through our exchange, we're able to learn from each other. Now, to bring this back home to the conference, the, the point I'm trying to make, it's not what happens within the conference. It's what happens outside of those sessions. And those, you cannot, I mean, I can't, from my experience and having gone to so many different conferences through the years and been a part of them, you can't replace that. You can't do it virtually. You can't do it online. That one-to-one -one type of introduction, knowing that person met, follow-up contact with him or her, uh, uh, the exchange of what he or she is doing and what you're doing, um, it, it's just irreplaceable. And uh, at the conference, yeah, we're going to have sessions. Yeah, that's great. We're going to have plenaries, some outstanding plenaries, but nothing compares to that face-to-face. -face. I mean, absolutely. And after a year and a half of COVID, uh, I think so many people are, uh, it, it's almost uh, necessary to come back together and exchange what we've all learned. Um, we're having short courses, workshops, uh, receptions, uh, uh, conference dinners, all sorts of activities to bring the people together. And uh, I totally understand the question, uh, but uh, with that said, that's why we're driving for a face-to-face. -face. All right, Cliff, um, you want to bring in, let's bring in the Restoration Industry Global Watchdog, Pete Consigli. Pete, do we have you? Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, so I've been listening. Very interesting. For, I, and I got a couple of comments. Before I'm going to give you my off-the-cuff comments before I give you the serious ones. The first thing is I find it highly curious that Downey would be nervous in a group of scarlet and gray. I mean, come <laughs> on. He, he's in there with his fellow brethren and Buckeye. So uh, I think he would be right in his own home. But, uh, John, it's interesting that uh, you said you're the only guy without a Ph.D. in there. But I, I think that's the whole point of this uh, research to practice is that, uh, you know, practitioners, they may not uh, have PhDs, although some of them do, but certainly they have a field and practical experience. And that's the kind of things that the people who are doing the research, uh, you know, they, they need to know that kind of stuff because I think it helps uh, improve. The other thing is that, um, you know, and kind of in uh, uh, commenting on, you know, Richard's explanation, I, I certainly understand uh, where Richard's coming from in regard to um, 
wanting to have an in-person because that's nothing new. I mean, anyone who's been involved in conferences and putting on meetings realizes that, you know, a lot of the real a big part besides the, the physical education that goes on in the sessions is all the networking that takes place outside of that. So and there's no argument there. But since the whole thing of COVID was brought up, I think what COVID has done is this changed the model uh, of how people meet and get together. And so I think there's a new evolving model, which is going to be the hybrid, which is a combination of, you know, some virtual activity with obviously in person that adds complexity and that, uh, you know, there's a lot of logistics that's involved with that. And like John, John had commented that there's going to be some limited streaming thing that, uh, you know, the committee's planning and that'll be good. But I don't know that that was the key point that Terry was trying to make. I think Terry's point, unless I got it wrong, was is that there's, there's a section of people who wouldn't travel to Hawaii, but would call in if they had the option to call in. And, uh, and, and that, that, that's being missed, which is over and above and different than the aspect of this, you know, physical getting together, because no one's going to argue that. And I don't think that's going to go away. You know, that maybe that's not going to change for this conference, but I think over the next couple of years, we'll see how that goes in education in general, particularly things that are sponsored by, you know, the nonprofit sector associations and things of that nature. Um, I think that, uh, that anyway, I think it was an important point that was made. Uh, so, John, I, I have one comment. You know, I, I, I talked to John a couple of days ago about this, uh, the push that they like to get more abstracts from the practitioners. And John did a good job of explaining what they're looking, looking for. But let me tell you what I, I think potentially is either in, intimidating to the, to the practitioners or, uh, I don't know, maybe makes them a little hesitant is that the word abstract is something is a, is an academic term. And uh, I know that um, when I listen to what the purpose of what they wanted from the practitioners, that's something that at least through my experience with REA and just other aspects of being involved in the industry that dates back many years, uh, we call them presenting case studies. And the case study is here was a project that we did, you know, typical, could be an IAQ project. Uh, what was the challenge? What did we do? And what happened? You know, how, how, did, how did we apply what we know to the challenge in order to solve it? And then what did we learn from that? The lessons learned. Now, the guy who kind of explained this the best, the restoration industry, in my opinion, was Joe Stebrook. Um, yeah, several years ago at a conference, Cliff was there, a number of others. And uh, we had a series of presentations that involved different case studies uh, on drying and you know other aspects of the industry. And there was a certain level of science that was involved with it. And I remember what Joe said, he goes, when the practitioners get up there and present their information, particularly if you have you know, scientific type people and engineers, industrial hygienists, et cetera. He says, if you stick to, this is what we had, this, uh, this is what we did, this is what happened. He said, end it there. Don't try to explain the science, because if you try to explain the science, he said, and you get it wrong, then you lose all your credibility. So the value, of, in my opinion, of having practitioners and academics and scientists together is if the practitioners talk about their experiences, and a lot of it's anecdotal because we tend to say we, you know, we continue to do what works and if something doesn't work. We don't we don't do it anymore. And what Steve Briggs said, he says, if you explain it like that, through science, they can explain why something worked and maybe why something didn't work. And through that, you can determine uh, what are the lessons that you learned and how can you apply them to the future to do a better job, which was a key point that John made. So I guess what I'm suggesting, maybe it's too, probably it's too late to change it now, but maybe in the future, what you do is you solicit, you want case studies, you want somebody to tell their story uh, and that. And if you just massage what you're asked for, Maybe they get an aha moment and maybe you'll get, you know, more case studies, which essentially is probably uh, analogous to uh, to an abstract. Um, the Good other point. key point that that I'd like to make. And uh, of course, uh, John and Richard are going to be familiar with this. I sent a group email out a while back ago that uh, 
consigli epistle, if you would. And I think an important component that uh, needs to be addressed is not just the relationship between the practitioners and the, you know, the researchers in the scientific community and academia, but where does the funding comes from? All research requires funding. Someone has to pay for it. And so the question becomes is, who determines what research is be, it needs to be done and then how did it get paid for? And I think that the, the, the practitioner's input and the component of what kind of stuff would they like to see validated through research should be asked and there should be a connection there that may number one, encourage more funding and may target the research where it then can be applied more practically, like Carl Grimes was bringing it up in the example that Cliff brought up. And that actually what Carl brought up was in the last Siri conference, John, if you recall, um, where he came up with the field practitioner, you know, analogy or, or that term that Cliff, that Cliff mentioned. So why is this important? Let, I'm going to use the analogy to, uh, to the Purdue University and a mo the model that they use. One of the things about Purdue and the relationship that we can been created with the restoration industry under the construction management model is that at least for many years, it may not be anymore, all of their professors before they got their PhDs and who became part of their faculty, they actually worked in the construction industry. So they had practical experience. That was something that I think was unique to the School of Technology of Purdue. But they established what they call as a construction advisory council. And the construction advisory council or companies in the construction industry with different programs and concentrations at the university. And they have the ability through that council and meeting a couple times a year and do the job and the career fairs to provide input on what does industry want? What kind of stuff do they want in the curriculum that will be taught in the schools so that when people graduate, it is more likely that they will be hired uh, by industry and, and placed in the fields that you know they studied in school. And so it's this connection where industry, you know, they're not they're not determining what the curriculum is, but they're given the type of input and the institution is listening and they have to be able to influence and affect it. Well that analogy is exactly what the, the, is the same is what I'm trying to say that deals with the funding and the research and what kind of research should be done and where does it come from. And I, I do think that uh, oftentimes, and I don't know that, I don't think it's, it's intentional. I just think that that's the whole spirit of what we're trying to do, uh, you know, with the Syrian and ISIAC and trying to do with this conference is where, the, you know, traditionally where you had these silos and people operating individually, where now these, these, these bridges are formed to connect them, to listen and to talk. And, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy to hear that uh, you got a lot of abstracts coming in and that, uh, you know, the event will uh, will be well attended and whatever component you can put in from a virtual standpoint, I think can only enhance things. I think a big concern that a lot of organizations have had over the years with promoting that is they think people won't sign up to come to the events. I, I, I've never really felt that way. I think it may lose one or two people here or there, but the people that want to come to the event and really capture the type of stuff that Richard talked about, where they want to get into the person in the, you know, person to person, or if they want to, Know, come to Hawaii and take a little vacation, be able to write it off as a legitimate business trip. They're going to come anyway, but it's a whole bunch of other people who maybe can't afford to travel for whatever reason. They may not have the budget, you know, the timing, but Hey, they could call in and they could zoom in and they can, uh, you know, get educated that way and get exposed. I think that's the comment that Terry was making is that uh, th there's maybe something there's being missed. So anyway, whatever it's worth. Thank you, Pete. We appreciate it. Richard, any Last thoughts? No, those are great comments from Pete. Um, I can't disagree with him. Um, the conference isn't all about this, you know. Uh, uh, we are encouraging case studies. And uh, yeah, the, the term abstract may be a little bit intimidating, but we gave examples of what an abstract might look like. Um, and we want that. We want that input. And and I agree with Pete, too, also on the, um, you know, research agendas. We've, uh, you know, often it's, it's driven by academia, but it needs to be driven by both. And we, we've done that on behalf of Sloan 
we brought together researchers and practitioners and developed an agenda of research uh, that was identified by both groups. And, uh, and Sloan has then pushed that on to the federal agencies. So more of that needs to occur. I, I can't agree with Pete more. And uh, this is only one uh, venue, if you will, that that can happen. And uh, we're doing the best we can, but at least we're catering with a limited track, uh, one, one track throughout each day uh, for those that can't attend. But we, we want you there in person. We, we feel that's where the benefit will be most. So thanks for the opportunity, guys, to, uh, to present and talk to you all today and talk about some of the memories way back when. Thank you, Dr. Richard Shaughnessy. Fantastic. John, final thoughts? Uh, I will just say thank you, Joe. Thank you, Cliff, for the opportunity to present today. I think we've all, I think we've gotten uh, what we needed to say said. So uh, again, just thank you both for, for everything, including you, Consigli. You as well. <laughs> there weren't nearly as many Buckeyes there as you, as you may have thought. There's mostly yeah. people from other places. They were all over. All right. Joe. How, did, how did they get in there? I, I thought there would have been somebody at the door keeping it out. <laughs> <laughs> they got Sorry, they those initials after their names. You didn't have anybody from that other state, that other one up north. Couldn't have anybody. There was one. Yes, it was awful. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, thank you so much. Our thanks to this week's guests, Dr. Richard Shaughnessy and John Donnie. Of course, my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. John, you got to have faith that the controls, the restoration industry's global watchdog, Pete Consigli, our sponsors, and most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners, Hey, next week, we've got a really interesting show. We've got Monona Roselle, who is the industrial hygienist to Broadway. And uh, we're going to talk about Broadway and how, how what kind of unique industrial hygiene issues they have and how things are coming along with respect to the uh, comeback after COVID. So come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed saying thanks for listening.